Crown of Thorns by Iris Bluefick. Chapter 21 Outtake Number 4 We sincerely apologize, but due to a lack of ducks, Crown of Thorns will be read by Google Translate from now on. Disagon too quickly. Thought Aziraphale, twisting the cap off the blue bottle. The good news was, sake rarely required a corkscrew, as the Japanese were blessedly sensible when it came to ease of getting plastered. The bad news was, they were on bottle number four and they'd planned on taking two of said bottles home. Oops. Migori rock sake cloud. Red Crowley, somewhat fuzzily, reaching across the table to take the bottle out of Aziraphale's hand. He squinted at the fine print on the back of the label. No way, he said. This stuff's made in Oregon. He emptied the contents into their newly acquired Takuri, set the bottle down on the floor. He proceeded to fill the darker of the two Guinomi, which he passed back to Aziraphale. And then the paler one, which he kept for himself. Cheers. He said, raising it. Again, or something. Aziraphale tossed it back like a shot, savoring the sweet burn on his tongue. They'd never been much for the drier, lighter, filtered varieties. And he'd read a rather excellent review of this particular sake, in his Japanese magazine, no less. While Crowley had been busy photographing Minzoku Shiryokin from top to bottom with Aziraphale's Blackberry, the endless stream of images had bored Raphael to tears. He held the Guinomi out for more, and Crowley complied, knocking both sets of chopsticks off the empty wooden platter between them. There was not much left on it except for eel sauce stains, traces of wasabi, and a pitiful shred of pickled ginger. It's quite all right, said Aziraphale, sipping judiciously. We've run out of those. And Unaji, Crowley lamented, peeling the ginger off the platter. He stuck it in his mouth, chewing for a while with his eyes closed, and then downed his sake shot. Aziraphale refilled his guinomi and reached to brush a tiny sliver of ginger off Crowley's lower lip. Crowley's tongue darted out, pink and unforked, missing Aziraphale's thumb. They were both reasonably tipsy, and the Hannah suite was warm, except for when the breeze stole in through the half-open balcony door. It was their last night in Kyoto. Neither one of them intended to waste it. Have you seen everything you wish to see, my dear? Aziraphale asked. Crowley refilled his guinomi, not quite frowning, and sipped. Never. He replied solemnly. But that's not your fault, bloody big word, eh? We could travel for a while if you like. Aziraphale told him, collecting the scattered chopsticks and piling them back in the platter. He rose, carried the whole lot over to the door, and set it out in the hall, guiltily hoping the staff would clear it. Open to New Zealand from here, perhaps. Australia, if you absolutely insist, whoever. Not yet, said Crowley, and Aziraphale turned to find him standing with his ass planted against the edge of the table, tugging ineffectually at his collar. It's too soon, he slurred, by way of clarification. Pippa's still to art, and I seem to recall you promised Mandy I would cook for her and some Spanish blagger from the kitchen so, by the way, 
Ed better speak English fluently, because I can't stand. Aziraphale patiently unbuttoned Crowley's shirt for him, the grey one he'd bought in Cambridge, understated and elegant, and proceeded to unfasten the trendy pure blue Japan jeans he'd bought at a denim boutique in Kansai. Crowley's head fell forward onto Aziraphale's shoulders as Aziraphale fondled them throughout his underthings. Too drunk for this, he muttered, and then sighed in defeat. Fine. Aziraphale kissed Crowley's neck and bit his earlobe, pushing jeans and pants both down around his hips. That's quite easily solved, he said, and two-thirds of the alcohol they'd consumed vanished from their bloodstreams. I've left just enough, what you might call a pleasant buzz. Also, if I've removed too much, he reached for Crowley's quinomi and drank some of what was left in it, and then held the remainder up to Crowley's lips. He drank obediently, tilting his chin up and opening his mouth to tease against Aziraphale's once the cup was safely set aside. If you break one of those, Angel, so help me, he said. I will let you have Pugui again any time you want it. Just you watch, I might even laugh at you. Whoa, that's not fair. Nobody's keeping track, Aziraphale reassured him, having impatiently got rid of their disarrayed clothing by less than traditional means. He knew Crowley wouldn't last long, not after that kind of tease. He was already leaking a warm trail across Aziraphale's belly, using the table for leverage to thrust up as they kissed. Not anymore. He breathed directly in Crowley's ear, and the shudder that went through Crowley in response was nothing to the words that came tumbling out of his mouth. Where? He moaned. Is that God-forsaken rope when you need it? When I need it? Or when one needs it, generally speaking? Crowley hissed and twisted Aziraphale's wrists around demonstratively, pinning them at the small of Aziraphale's back. Punishment. He explained. For moving too fast. Under the pillows, I believe. Said Aziraphale, helpfully. Unless housekeepings made of with it. I would rather not find it necessary to have a world with the management. Eased off the edge of the table, Crowley proved tense and wobbly on his feet, so Aziraphale led him over to the bed by both hands. It would have been entirely too easy to pin them down. To kiss and suck and stroke him to release. Aziraphale was content enough with lying side by side for several unhurried minutes, breathing each other in while Crowley's trembling subsided to a manageable level. Aziraphale found the especially ticklish spot behind Crowley's right knee and stroked it, idly tolerating the exquisite frustration of not being touched. Crowley writhed and pressed flush up against Aziraphale, his breath escaping in an expressive rush. That will do it, Aziraphale thought. That will do it every damn time. What then? Crowley asked. Did you want me to tie you up, or fuck you, or both? The latte. Said Aziraphale, a little bit breathlessly. An experiment, if you like. He added, and it took some maneuvering, but he eventually got Crowley to sit propped up against a pile of pillows with the silk rope unspooled in his hands and in his lap. 
Aziraphale knelt next to Crowley and kissed him until he relaxed, loose-limbed, into the pillows, repeating the cock ring bind took ten seconds. But Aziraphale found it necessary to flick the loops away just as quickly, as Crowley had begun to shake again with the effort of not giving in. Aziraphale shifted to straddle Crowley's lap, his thigh muscles protesting, and immediately understood how much control it took on Crowley's part to perform strenuous acts in this position even with his hands free. Crowley said uncertainly, steadying him. Yes, sir. Aziraphale obediently crossed his arms behind his back, leaning forward for a kiss. The rope slithered from between them and insinuated itself in a series of dreadfully complex loops and twists around Aziraphale's wrists. Crowley hadn't even lifted a finger, except to take Aziraphale's face in both hands and kiss him more deeply. Aziraphale didn't need to look over his shoulder to know that the knots Crowley had used weren't in the book they'd unceremoniously abandoned between the bed and the nightstand back at home. In fact, if they had been pulled any tighter, it would have been painfully obvious, in the most literal sense, that the rope's current configuration had originally been designed to cut off circulation, or, even worse, extremities. It's all I could remember in a pinch, said Crowley, gaze lowered, one hand already working its unsteady way down Aziraphale's chest. I would rather see it used for something like this than for torture, he said, his fingers abruptly going slick as he stroked Aziraphale. I swear, it's hard to get the consistency of this stuff right, but I am not getting up to go the ground in your swift case for that travel sits a battle. Sucking in his breath at the sharp swell of pleasure, Aziraphale couldn't decide which Crowley wore more attractively, complete and total irony, or nothing at all. I believe what matters is that so not sold, Aziraphale said, shifting his weight cautiously onto his knees as Crowley stroked himself with a hastily summoned lubricant, even with one of Crowley's hands at his hip. The balancing act would remain precarious until he was more firmly anchored. Perhaps if he manifested his wings. No, no you don't. Crowley said through gritted teeth, positioning himself. You could, too. Aziraphale replied, gratefully bearing down to meet him. The burn of Crowley filling him was far better than any sake, and they both forgot about wings just as quickly as the subject had emerged. Crowley twisted under him with a groan. One arm wrapped tightly about Aziraphale's waist, the other planted firmly against the mattress for leverage. Aziraphale was torn between kissing him and watching him, in the end, watching one out. And the play of expressions across Crowley's features was worth the minor inconvenience of not being able to touch him in kind. Aziraphale met every snap of Crowley's hips with a thrust of his own. Crowley folded forward, lips parted on some silent plea against Aziraphale's throat. Aziraphale buried his nose in Crowley's damp, disarrayed hair, breathing shallowly. My dear, if you can just, ah, uh, if you can just hold that thought. Irrelevant. He was unraveling faster and harder than Crowley, although Crowley wasn't that far behind, gasping and swearing with wave after wave of it. Elf said Crowley, finally, slumping back against the pillows. Help! As the rope fizzled and fell slack, Aziraphale managed to sprawl backwards on his ass between Crowley's parted thighs. 
He winced at the absolute wreck they'd made of the sheets. The staff would never know, and Aziraphale hoped, if they ever came back that they wouldn't be saddled with the same bedclothes. He'd always know what they'd done to them. Crowley's perpetually clear conscience notwithstanding. Well, don't just sit there, murmured Crowley, hazy-eyed, reaching for him. Aziraphale went willingly, kicking the rope aside. It would need repairing where Crowley had burned through it, or perhaps he'd just replace it when they returned to England. Crowley wrapped it around Aziraphale with a strange, hitching little sigh buried in the crook of Aziraphale's neck. Aziraphale stroked Crowley's hair and rubbed his back, mapped every part of Crowley that he could reach. When he got like this, Cruelet, please, he said. I'm listening, won't you just? Why? said Crowley, his voice muffled. Did it have to take us so bloody long? Aziraphale sighed and drew Crowley's hand up to the pillow, kissing his palm. Because we are, are you on so astutely pointed out, sick at two short planks? Crowley grimaced against Aziraphale's shoulder, but at least he wasn't brooding. Six thousand years, Angel, he said. That's quite a few rings in the proverbial tree. Just imagine how terrible it would have been if we'd been at all competent. Aziraphale replied, hoping that this particular past echo wasn't in bad taste. Judging by Crowley's sudden and uncontrollable fit of delighted laughter, it wasn't. Happy April Fool's Day! This was an April Fool's Day joke. The real Chapter 21 will be released on April the 15th. Stay tuned.